I'm Eric Ash. I'm honored to be the, the pastor here and, and uh, grateful to be in worship with you guys again this week. And uh, we're continuing our series called Living Your Best Life. And uh, last yesterday, my family had the opportunity. We went to a, the opening of a, of a new church start, and it was amazing. You know, we, we got there, and, and uh, it was an hour ahead of time. And there was a line around the block to get into this place. They hadn't opened the doors yet. People are waiting outside to get into the place. The doors open an hour ahead of worship, and the, the, the line started flowing in. And, and, and all 1,200 seats were packed. Amen. And then they started the music, the pre-service music, and they had a beautiful pipe organ with a very talented organist. Um, and, and was playing some old and some new music and, and people were just loving it and cheering for the, the pre, prelude music. I mean, they're just, it was crazy. And then the downbeat of the songs and the singing came out. It was unbelievable. It was quite something to be a part of. And, and for me, it was just a little glimpse of what heaven might be and that it's maybe going to be this mix of old music with with great uh, traditional organs and, and this other music, contemporary music that's just awesomely done. It's awesomely a word. It is now. Okay? That's what worship should be like. And uh, so that's my hope for our church and every church that we would be a church like that, that, uh, that comes and in in waiting in line to get here and excited to be here. And when the down becomes with the band, that we, our voices, roar and rumble among us. Would you stand and greet one another as we continue in worship with a handshake, a hug, or fist bump. Welcome to worship. Well, we're continuing our series, uh, Living Your Best Life, and we're, we're using that popular hashtag from social media, but trying to figure out what does living your best life mean God's way? How does that translate for us as as Christ followers. And you might remember if you're here with us, if not, we'll give you the, the cliff notes here. Last week we learned and talked about that it is not about us, it's about God. This life is not about us, it's about God. And that every one of us has a purpose. God gave every one of us a purpose. And we're called to that purpose for eternal life, for all of eternity, which in us as Wesleyans, as Methodists, we view as both here and now and there and not yet, that we are to work to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven now and on the other side of heaven. So this church that I went to yesterday, my family went to, it was really fantastic. I mean, just the music was awesome. And uh, the church was called The Greatest Showman Sing-Along at the Tampa Theater. Now, the problem here is that they didn't worship God in any way that we would recognize, but they came together, 1,200 people came together and waited in line several hours ahead of time, had purchased their tickets ahead of time to come together and to, they worshiped the greatest showman movie, the wonderful music and the great actors and, and as they came up and and as I looked at that, that is what 
worship should be. That we should, we should be here maybe not two hours ahead of time because I'm still getting some things done. I wouldn't be ready for you guys. But we're here early and ready to worship and, and when the downbeat of the songs come that we're ready with full voice and vigor to sing. And that every seat that we have is filled. All 1,200 of those seats were filled. And this is not the first go-around. This has happened a couple times with this particular event. And it was this eclectic mix and diversity of people. Littles behind us, you know, probably eight, nine, ten-year-old girls belting out the music right next to their moms. And then down the row, we had some young women, I'm not even going to pretend to gauge what age, that were enjoying themselves too on a night out. There were some people that came in costume. If you want to come to church in costume, you can do that. Yeah. Come dressed as Paul or, you know, Moses or whatever. But they were here and they were worshiping in such a fantastic manner. And so today we're going to be looking at what is our purpose to live our best life. And I'm going to propose to you that our purpose is to glorify and enjoy God forever. Glorify and enjoy God forever. Again, the, the notes are in the bulletin. If that helps you, great. If not, that's okay. They're there for those who need them or would like to use them. And we get that from a scriptural basis, but also from uh, the, what's called the Westminster Catechism. Anybody ever heard of the Westminster Catechism? Many, many uh, originated out of the Church of England and is used by many Lutherans and, and many Presbyterians. But John Wesley took a, a, a version of the Westminster Catechism as well. And the Catechism is sort of like our confirmation or our membership classes. And it's designed around the old ancient practice of asking questions and giving answers. So the first question in the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief end for humanity? What is the purpose of humanity? And the answer in the Catechism is that humanity's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. We are to glorify God and we are to enjoy God. And at times we can, we can look and see, well, that's, that's kind of two different things. You know, we are enjoying God and, and focused on all the great fruit and blessings that God, a life in Christ, brings to us. Everything that God provides to us. You know, we pray for our homes and our jobs and our families and the blessings that we have, our churches. And then on the other end, though, we have glorifying, where you may be focused more on, on the deep, sincere commitment and responsibilities that we have toward God, the discipline of following Christ. And at, and at a short look, those kind of seem to be at two ends of a spectrum. And how do we make those fit together so we can fulfill this purpose to glorify and enjoy God forever? Well, many places help us see this in the scripture, but Psalm 67 does a really good job especially. And you'll see at the beginning of this, it's talking about how we enjoy God. In the first verse, let God grant us grace and bless us, that God make his face to shine upon us. And with that, so that your way becomes known on earth, so that your salvation becomes known among the nations. 
And then quickly the psalmist turns now, instead of enjoyment, now we're talking about our purpose, our glorification. Let the people thank you. This is our response. Let the people thank you, God. Let the people thank you. Let the people celebrate and shout with joy. Sounds like worship, right? Let them celebrate and shout with joy because you judge the nations fairly and guide all nations on the earth. Let the people thank you, God. Let the people thank you. The earth has yielded its harvest back to the enjoyment. The earth has yielded its harvest. God blesses us. Our God blesses us. Let God continue to bless us. Let the far ends of the earth honor him. So this, this first step of our purpose, our big umbrella purpose of how we are to live our best life is to glorify and enjoy God forever. And we do that balancing this glorification and enjoyment with God. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It doesn't have to be dualistic in our thinking, but it can be together. So under this big umbrella that we're going to look at now, these next five remaining weeks of how do we glorify and enjoy God, under that big umbrella, I'm going to propose that this is our first way that we live out our purpose, and it is to love God. The first way we live out our purpose is to love God. And scripturally, that gives us a basis in Luke 10, 27, my favorite verse, the one that's on my arm, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our minds. That our purpose, our first way that we live out our purpose is to love God. And loving God is really just a simple way to say the church word of worship. And we can love God in many different ways, and we can worship God in many different ways. And, and we're going to look at what worship is, but first let me look, let's look at, pause, what, what worship is not. And that will help us better understand what worship may be. Worship is not just the music. Many times you'll hear people say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a church, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the worship and uh, come in for the prayer. Or I'm going to skip the worship and come in for the message. But worship is more than just the music. The worship is all of our service and more. It is how Angela welcomes us. It is how the band leads worship and music and how we sing together. It is our, our welcome of one another and the passing of the peace. It is uh, the prayer and our affirmations of faith through the Apostles' Creed. It is our giving and our opportunity to give to God, give back to God through giving of our resources. It is in our service, those of you who serve here in different parts of the service or serve on campus, that is all worship. And it's all parts of the service. And even, and music is an important part of how we praise God. I mean, it was in the scriptures from the very beginning that music was there and, and it was an important part of praising God. And and many times we think even we'll take the music and we classify some of it in different ways. We say, you know, we have hymns, traditional hymns, and that's one thing. And then we have praise music that might be, you know, drums and, and guitars and it's loud and it's fast and it's praise music. And then, but, you know, my favorite is the worship music. 
the slow, reflective kind of a mode of music, maybe when you might have some kind of uh, feeling about the music, perhaps. But really, all of those types of music, hymns and praise music and worship music, all of those are just labels because it all is worship. All music is worship. So it's not just the music. It's all of the service. And here's another shocker. It's not for us. I know this is shocking news at 11. Worship is not for us. So if I don't like a song that Angela selects, it's not for me. Or if I ask Angela to do a song that she doesn't like, it's not for Angela. Francis Chan is a pastor in the United States, a megachurch pastor, and he had a, a, a person, churchgoer, stop him one day, and he said, uh, you have it up there? There it is. He said, uh, I don't really like worship today. I didn't really like worship today. And Francis Chan said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. not about us not about did you like the music or you didn't like the music it's not even did you like the message or didn't like the message half the time i don't like the messages you know i'm just saying it's not about us worship is not for us it is for god and lastly it's not just even even if it's we look at all of the service from 11 to 12 or Let's realistic say 1205, 1210. And it's not just that hour and 10 minutes. Really, worship is all of us, all of our life, not just this one chunk out of the week. It's all of our lives. It's the first act we do in the morning and the last act before we go to sleep. It is uh, happens no matter where we are. In the, in the scriptures, we hear about people worshiping at work. We hear about them at home, on the battlefield, in jail. In the Song of Solomon, we hear about them worshiping in their beds. We're going to skip that part today. Worship is everything. It's all of us. Everything that we do, all parts of our life. And Romans 12.1, in the message version, says this really well. This is Paul talking to the church at Rome. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention. Fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Everything we do, from the ordinary to the extraordinary, is for God and his worship. If, it's, if you're an accountant, making sure those numbers line up can be a part of worshiping God. And if you are a, a mechanic, making sure that my air conditioner works tomorrow and doesn't cost a whole lot of money is worshiping God and everything in between. There is a Benedictine monk named uh, Brother Lawrence. He's famous for writing this book called the, the Practicing the Presence of God. And, uh, and uh, Brother Lawrence 
would like to say that he worshiped in everything, in all everyday activities. And he wrote this, Men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And, and it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. What he's saying is basically the church has made all these man-made rules of how we should come together, like at 11 o'clock on Sunday, and this is the only way that we can worship, and we have to do these rituals. And but he goes on to say, yet it might be so simple. It is not, is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? He's saying, live your entire life as an act of worship. He even went on to say this, and uh, I, I particularly like this next quote from Brother Lawrence. Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. So in the act of cleaning the pots and pans and in the act of cooking the meal and serving the meal and cleaning up after dinner, Brother Lawrence was worshiping, was in the presence of God all the time. Anybody like to worship cleaning the kitchen? There you go. Me too, brother. There's something about going from disaster area to not. There is very fulfilling. And it may not, you know, I don't know if it brings pleasure to God when you do that. It brings pleasure to our, our loved ones and our spouses, I can tell you that. Another guy uh, you may have heard of, his name is Eric Little. Anybody heard of Eric Little? Eric Little was, who wasn't here the first hour, Angela? Eric Little was a Scotsman, and he was an Olympian. He was a sprinter. His specialty was the 100-meter dash. And Eric Little was a, a devout follower of Christ. And so he had the opportunity in 1924 to compete in the French, or in the Olympic Games that was held in France. And months before, they had published, you know, this is when the certain races are going to happen. And it happened that the scheduling of for some of the races in the 100-meter dash were going to happen on Sunday. And he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to do it. And he was ridiculed for that. And he was, you know, his teammates and his countrymen and even other teams were ridiculing him for that behavior. And instead, he swapped with another teammate. Another teammate ran the 100-meter dash. And, and he moved over to the 400-meter because there weren't any races on Sundays. And he trained for months to do that, but his specialty was sprinting, not, not 400 meters, which is not, was not a sprint. And so he trained and he trained and he trained, and, and he got up to this moment as depicted in the movie Chariots of Fire. Let me move so you can see. It says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Shores. So where does the power come from? 
see the race to its end from within. God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. backtrack when he was running he was remembering conversations he was having he said i believe god made me for a purpose and and, and for him he believed his purpose he grew up he was born in china his parents were missionaries to china and his intention was to go and be a missionary to china but he also believes that god made him fast and when he runs he feels god's pleasure and so before returning to China in 1924, he ran this last Olympics. And he took this opportunity to have a, a platform to stand on, to say, it's unpopular platform, that I am not going to, to run on Sundays for my conviction to my faith. Because I'm going to honor God, and, and God is going to honor my belief. And instead, trained for a completely different race and won the gold medal, and he, he broke the world's record because he approached that race in a completely different manner and turned it into a sprint. And he ran for God's pleasure. He had a purpose. He had, he thought, I'm going to be a missionary. But God gave him this great ability and gave him this platform to honor God as well. 1925, after the Olympics, he did go to China, and he served for 20 years as a missionary in China until he died in a Japanese internment camp in 1945. He had a purpose of why God created him, but God also created him fast. And when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. He was worshiping God when he ran. He was worshiping God when he served in China. And that's what worship is all about. Worship is a constant uh, constant conversation with God. It's constantly talking to him, praying without ceasing, constantly talking to him throughout the day. And it's a continual meditation on the scriptures and the story and the life of Christ. Now, in order to do that, in order to give all of our life to God, we have to fully surrender. In order to fully love God, we have to surrender all of our life not a popular thing our culture tells it's tells us it's the opposite of what we should do that that surrender is losing it's it's defeat it's forfeit it's being captured 
but it really is giving God access to and control over all parts of our life. That's what surrendering is about. Giving God access to and control over all parts of our life. Romans 6, 13 says, Give yourselves to God. Surrender your whole being to God to be used for righteous purposes. Everything that we are, our call to be missionaries and our ability to be fast. Everything that we are, we give to God as a living sacrifice. Now, there's a couple barriers that hop up. You know, fear is one of those. That, you know, anybody fear if you give your life, you surrender all of your life to God that you might be a missionary to China or floating down the Amazon or maybe somewhere closer that you're just not comfortable with, that you, you, you lose control when you surrender fully. Or maybe it's our pride that we're not in charge anymore and we can't control everything because, you know, here's another new flash, we are not God. And if we fully surrender, you know, our pride comes in and I'll do this, God, but not, not this. But Rick Warren in his book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, it's now also called the uh, What's Life, What Am I Here, What on Earth Am I Here For, says that this is what surrender is. Surrendering to God is not passive resignation or fatalism or an excuse for laziness. It is not accepting the status quo. It may mean the exact opposite, sacrificing your life or suffering in order to change what needs to be changed. God often calls surrendered people to do battle on God's behalf. Surrendering is not for cowards or doormats. Likewise, it is, does not mean giving up our rational thinking. God would not waste the mind God gave you. God does not want robots to serve God. Surrender is giving God an all-access pass to our lives, to every single part Every dirty room in our house where we've stuffed things under the bed or jammed things in the closet, hoping that no one opens those doors, shoved pots and pans, hoping that no one happens to jimmy that door in the kitchen open, but it's giving God access to all of that. That's what surrender is like. In the Bible, I'm going to give you some homework this week. In the Bible, go home and whatever version of the Bible you want children's Bible with, as a family or your own Bible, read the story of Noah. It begins in Genesis chapter 6. Read the story of Noah. Don't read, don't watch this Noah. Don't watch this Noah. You, if you want to watch that Noah. You can. Don't watch this Noah, but this Noah. This is Noah from the Bible. And think about... And you have some notes about Noah's life exemplifies loving supremely, trusting completely, and obeying fully, and thanking continually. Read that story and see if you can discover where Noah is exhibiting those qualities. Noah's life is a good example for us to follow. He didn't know what was going to happen, but God chose him because he loved God. He trusted God completely and he obeyed fully. And then he gave thanks when God blessed him. 
So as we look towards living our best life, these next five weeks, we'll, we're going to be looking how our purpose is to be glorifying God and enjoying God forever. And the first way we do that, the first way we do that is by loving God, by worshiping God. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because begin, uh, it begins by loving God with everything we are and everything that we have. And it's just like uh, the greatest showman church. We come and give our lives every day. Some days we dress up in costumes. Some days we come early. Some days it's packed seats and some days not. But we're showing up every day and singing at the top of our lungs. All parts of our lives, from the mundane to the extraordinary. That's what living your best life is like because we are glorifying God and enjoying God forever. Amen? Amen.